Hello, and welcome to RipperCast, episode 65, from our own correspondence, Demolition in Whitechapel. Please join me in listening in as John Reese and Trevor Bond take us on a journey through Whitechapel and Spitalfields, reporting on the current state of the murder sites of the victims of Jack the Ripper, and then they'll give us a few final thoughts on the issue of the redevelopment taking place in Ripper territory. Uh, Saturday the 22nd of August 2015 and uh, this is John Rees and I'm currently standing on the streets at the east end of London and uh, standing on Crispin Street looking down towards where uh, the White's Row car park was and uh, where the uh, Fruit and Wool Exchange uh, it's, it's still mostly there, but it's uh, in the process of coming down now. Um, the first thing from uh, approaching from the Crispin Street uh, side, really, is uh, I'm sure there was a car park there last time I was here. Um, the White Row Car Park, a monstrosity of a building, but uh, you did get good views from the top of um, the site of uh, Miller's Court and Dorset Street. But, uh, yeah, that's now totally gone. Um, and uh, the Fruit and Wool Exchange, a historic building in its own right, is... Uh, in the process of coming down. I think it started yesterday. Uh, with me here is Trevor Bond. So, uh, Trevor, what a, any comments from you? Yeah, morning, John. Um, yeah, as John says, we're standing outside the uh, Lillian Knowles House, now student accommodation for the LSE University students, uh, the former Crispin Street Night Refuge, which many of us know, which some years ago was claimed to have once housed Mary Kelly, more famously and verifiably, who lived in the aforementioned 13 Millers Court, as we know. Uh, Streets, Dorset Street, later Deval Street, that also housed her landlord, John McCarthy. Opposite that, uh, properties owned by William Crossingham, all the familiar names from the case, really. We're standing here now, and all we can see is a a gigantic green hoarding and uh, an even more gigantic crane, really. We've got... Probably a quarter of the Fruit and Wool Exchange building is down. It looks like, briefly, it's going to reveal quite a nice view of Christchurch, actually. Yeah, I was thinking the same, actually. You can, you can see the spire now. Yeah, but most ob- of it. Obviously, that's not going to last. Yeah. Uh, it might be worth coming down to get a few photos of that when we can, though. There's quite a lot of activity going on there. It doesn't seem like Mitre Square did uh, in terms of the hoardings went up and then... You couldn't really see a great deal of activity for, for some months. This feels a little bit more like Derwood Street, really, uh, the former Bucks Row with the Crossrail Works, where it all seems to be happening rather rapidly. And as John says, the car park's gone. And in a way, I suppose we're back to where we were before the car park went up, when this was uh, a lorry park, the famous photograph of a group of kids playing football there from, I think, the late 60s early 70s just before the car park went up but the car park did give a bit of definition back to what had formerly been Deval Dorset Street albeit as we all know the street alignment was slightly different. I can't actually see over the hoarding but I think the site of 13 Millers Court or Millers Court in general 26 and 27 Dorset Street 
is probably still there at the moment, but it doesn't yeah. look like it's going to be there for much longer. No, I, I think it's still there. Let's, uh, let's take a walk around to the other side and uh, see if we can uh, get a better view from there. What a good idea. standing on White's Row. Um, apologies for the background noise, but uh, as you can hear, there is uh, heavy machinery in the background. Um, there is uh, some of the structure of the car park remaining, um, some of the metalwork, and uh, we're actually watching the last of the car park come down now. Um, apologies, isn't it clear, but uh, there's uh, a lot of clanging from machines in the background. So, uh, yeah, we are, we're just watching now the uh, destruction of the remains of the White Row car park. Okay, we're now on Commercial Street. Um, apologies for the traffic noise in the background. Um, a lot more green hoarding here again, and uh, you can see a lot of scaffolding up. Um, peeking for a gap in the fence, um, it looks like the site of 13 is still there at the moment, but um, how long for is anyone's guess really? Any comments, Trevor? Not particularly. As John's mentioned, we've just witnessed the probably the final moments of the last vestiges of the White Row car park. Um, as John says, rightly, the site of this end, um, towards 26 and 27 Dorset Street, on the uh, south side is still there, albeit the site of number 13 is currently obscured by a very large pile of planks. It looks like the street level has been completely flattened, so the, uh, the sort of gap in the pavement that many people use to find the approximate entrance of the doorway to Miller's Court would seem to have gone. Bizarrely, there are still three white bollards in the middle of this rather flat expanse of land that seem to have been left for some reason. Um, and as John pointed out, on the Fruit and Wool Exchange building, they seem to have taken out most of the windows, sensibly, when you're going to pull something down. But there's about six or eight windows in two groups that, for whatever reason, seem to have been left. Um, once again, just a, a lot of very rapid activity, really. Yeah, it's a Saturday morning as well, so... Uh... I was expecting to be quite quiet, but uh, no, it's in full swing. The planners uh, don't stop for anyone. For those who uh, know the area a little bit, whether it's from wandering around or being on any of the tours, the hoardings now extend entirely out onto Commercial Street. Uh, as many people will know, previously, even when Dorset Street was closed off, or Deval Street, um, or the private service road, to pay your money, take your choice, was closed off. There was a small section on this end, opposite Christchurch, where you could still get into a little corner and up some steps, which is where many of the tour guides like to stand up the top and project their uh, Mary Kelly section of their talks. Um, that's now completely inaccessible. We have a 90-degree hoarding onto Commercial Street, and... Uh, doesn't look like it's going to be long, chaps. Yeah, just an observation Trevor said earlier about um, from Crispin Street, you're going to be able to have a nice view of Christchurch um, when the Fruit and Wall Exchange comes down. Just noticed looking for the gap in the fencing. But you do get a really nice view of the buildings on Crispin Street um, from here, but uh, 
for how long that will remain before some uh, glass monstrosity goes up is anyone's guess. We're now in the city of London and we're walking down St James's Passage into Mitre Square. Um, so, well, we're in the square, but uh, there's just hoarding everywhere, um, blue it's hoarding. It's no longer square. Yes, it isn't a square anymore. Um, Ripper Corner is still intact. Um, we can see that straight away. But, uh, yeah, there's um, blue hoarding taking up most of the square. Uh, there's a, looks like a, dem a demountable office block um, to the right of St. James's uh, Passage, directly opposite Ripper Corner. Um, you can see uh, the exposed innards of some of the buildings um, that once lined the square. Um, just less buildings, the gherkin seems a lot more prominent, doesn't it? Gherkin yeah, um, certainly looks closer, yeah. Yeah, so, in fact, all the skyscrapers are more... It's almost like they're right on top of you now as compared to being next to it. Um, so, yeah, but we've Ripper Corner still there. Um, all the flagstones are there. Um, the bench is still there. So, uh, Trevor, anything to add? There's some rather intriguing old writing on the side, the exposed side of one of the buildings. Um, unfortunately... Gazed at it many a time over the last few months. I still can't make any sense of it. Oh, uh, looking. I can't see it. But yeah, there. Um, we can edit this bit out if that, if John thinks that's just dust. Anyway, so yeah, here we are in Mitre Square. We've just walked, as John says, down St James's Passage from Duke's Place. Um, there's a lot of work going on around here. Not only in the square. I mean, this square site extends probably a good half a mile down further in towards the city and the roundabout by St Botolph's Church uh, as many of you will probably know who know the area or have been down here recently there's another project going on to pedestrianise that whole area and make it a new open space for Aldgate I think is the uh, the phrase they're using that, if anyone's seen the traffic that comes around there almost any time in the day that sounds like an absolute nightmare <laughs> I'm not convinced that's going to happen but yeah, Mitre Square, the the footprint of which originally uh, was pretty closely aligned to the footprint of the cloisters of the ancient uh, priory dating back to the 12th century. So uh, now much greatly reduced. To give you some idea, as John says, we've got hoardings ahead of us and on the right and the section that includes the slight, the curve in the pavement and Ripper's Corner uh, and the bench. For the listeners, we've got our back to the gates of... Uh... John Cass School, so you actually know which direction Trevor's talking. Correct. Uh, reverse that if you want to imagine me facing the other way. If you want to imagine me in any context, go and see a psychotherapist. But, uh, yeah, so that part is still remaining. The, where these buildings that we've said, you can see the buildings behind them and the interiors, uh, of the innards, as John said, of the buildings behind them, is where the uh, Orange Market, Cree Church Place, would have been. The hoardings are stopping us getting far enough into what was the square to even see where the entrance into Mitre Passage, which led into Free mm. Church Place, was. That is all completely 
flattened these days and when you come past the hoardings from Duke's place there's a small little window we'll probably post up some pictures there's been plenty going around that you can see in and they're uh, making good progress on the foundations they've gone quite a way down but the, the sets I'm not going to call them cobbles uh, the sets are still here at the moment in the remaining part of the square can't think of anything else to say uh, just to give some of the, some of the um, what's here currently um, there's of course like blue containers there's also um, a demountable building on stilts it's a four story demountable building which will be some kind of site office um, and there's two very large red cranes next to that which are probably visible um, from quite some distance I imagine because they look like uh, they're almost the same level as some of the uh, skyscrapers almost um, so yeah, it's pretty much next to a building site in a square which um, you know, could at times be a, quite a quiet and tranquil place for the City of London, you know, if you're having lunch or something. Um, it's just constant noise of drilling and hammering and building work. So uh, yeah, I think the atmosphere of the square has been uh, spoilt as well. So um, yeah, so that, that's Mitre Square. been sitting here in Ripper's Corner for about five minutes just uh, looking around at what we can see in the skyline. Um, we've both noticed that we can see buildings now, some of the uh, skyscrapers and glass monstrosities, that we've actually never seen before. And they don't look particularly new. Um, there's a, a building with... Um, what colour? It's almost greeny, isn't it? The building's got its hat on. Yeah, it's, just like, it's, it's got green sides, the skyscraper. It's got a funny hat on top. It's probably something to do with solar power or something but we've never seen that building before um, there's also another building um, which is to the right of uh, Ripper's Corner um, that I've never noticed before either um, there's a nice view of some of the uh, buildings on Mitre Street though from here now which were previously obscured by the buildings that were originally there so uh, yeah it's kind of a mixed opinion really you know but um it's what we were saying about the gherkins seeming a lot closer now because you haven't got those buildings. You, know, you can now see some of the uh, taller buildings that were obscured. And you can, it's almost as if the city is encroaching on uh, uh, you know, a piece of history and a historical site. Uh, Trevor's noticing some of the flagstones, so I'll pass it over to him. Yeah, just noticing, not at the actual sets or in the square themselves, but the larger, more modern flagstones... Uh, directly in front of and round the side of the bench and Ripper's Corner seem to have been recently re reset. I'm going to say, in the absence of a proper technical term, uh, for those of you who like to refurbish bathrooms in the UK, whatever the equivalent of grouting for tiles is for flagstones on the ground. I think it's okay, cement, I think. But uh... thank you, John. Uh, and that seems to have been, or certainly has, been very recently redone. So. I suppose one interpretation on that would be that suggests the flagstones are definitely staying, um, although, as uh, Mr Reese here just rightly suggested, it could also mean that someone's tried to get themselves a souvenir of Ripper's Corner. Uh, it really is quite close to the flower bed and the bench, and they've had to re-secure them for now so they don't become a health and safety hazard. But uh, might be worth keeping an eye on that. It's a little, little teaser for you. Just watch the flagstones.
It's uh, Sunday the 22nd, 20th, it's Sunday the 23rd of August 2015 um, and it's about 12.30 in the afternoon and um, today we've gone uh, in search of Bucks Row to uh, look at the changes to that murder site. So um, we're currently um, standing near the board school, the board school's on our right and our left is the Whitechapel Sports Centre. I'm looking down towards the murder site um, on Durwood Street, the former Bucks Row. Um, we've tried to get a bit closer, but we've been told off by a construction worker who is uh, currently watching us, making sure we don't try and uh, break into the site. Um, the uh, construction work going on here has been going on for a number of years, I think, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, a number of years um, for the Crossrail project, which is uh, causing a lot of construction work and... Uh, digging up various parts of the city. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty much inaccessible from this side of the board school to get to the murder site. Um, that, that construction worker is still staring at us in his high-vis from uh, <laughs> further down, even though we're slightly of view, but, uh, yeah, he's looking at us. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to try and uh, get round the other side to see if we can see anything there. Anything to add, uh, Trevor Bond? Not particularly, as John says. Um... The actual hoarding that's stopping you getting down Durwood Street, because, as people probably know, it's now uh, effectively been cut in half by the removal of the bridge um, from the tube station. So the hoarding is actually uh, sort of flush with the board school, which is probably about 30, 40 yards ahead of us. So physically, you can get that far down to the board school, but as John says, there's a, a rather eager chap who would rather people didn't do that. Uh, we can't see a great deal of what's going on beyond said hoardings. We've got a large grey building on our right here. It looks quite permanent, so I don't think it's just a site office. Uh, with sort of electrical cables not yet attached to anything hanging out of the side, so whether that's some kind of depot uh, for the crossrail station or, or part of an extension, we don't know. So yeah, let's head back out onto Whitechapel Road and uh, have a, do a bit of a poly and uh, wander down and see if we can get round how close we can get from the other way. Yeah, but the building on the uh, the right, yeah, it's um, from the the architecture of it of it and uh, the features on it. Yeah, it certainly looks permanent because there's. There's gutters being put on it, and um, this has got like the protective uh, wrapping around the pipes, and uh, it's not not demountable because there is like some evidence of trying to make some kind of design to it because there's some curvature on it, and yeah, there's I can see several protective uh, sheets still on the sides of it, so no, it's it's definitely a permanent structure. And further down, there's some uh, there's a double-story demountable, which I presume is a kind of site office and something for the workers, as well as various cranes and. Uh, Fences, etc. Um, so yeah, so let's uh, let's walk around and see what we can see. So uh, we've walked down my Chapel Road, um, and we're now the other side of uh, Durwood Street the uh, original Bucks Row. Um, on our left is Kempton Court, and on our right is the uh, Swanley School and Sixth Form. Um, just a quick word about 
the feeling of the place. Yesterday when we went to um, uh, the remains of Dorset Street and Mitre Square, it was a gorgeous, hot, sunny day and uh, bright sunlight today. The weather's absolutely awful. It's, uh, it started off overcast, it then started raining, and now it's raining fairly heavily, so we're actually soaking wet standing here, which uh, re-adds to the bleakness of all the construction work, I think. So uh, this isn't going to be a positive uh, summary review, I don't think. That might be because of the weather and the fact that uh, we're absolutely soaking here, but um, it might be because of what we're seeing as well. So uh, we'll leave that to the listener to decide. Um, so, uh, yeah, with the other side of where we were earlier, we can see the uh, Whitechapel Sports Centre directly in front of us, uh, but there's various hoardings and barriers and road closed signs in the way. Um, there's uh, cra- large cranes to our right, um, and there. Uh, apologies for the uh, brief interruption then. Um, uh, a motorcyclist stopped to ask for directions. Uh, trying to find his way to the Whitechapel Sports Centre where we were a minute ago. Um, so obviously, you know, the, uh, the work is causing some confusion among uh, locals and visitors to the area who are trying to use the facilities and uh, just can't find a way to get to them because the work, various roads we passed uh, are closed off um, on the way down that, you know, might give you access there. So... Uh, Good luck to him trying to find his way there. Um, so, yeah, so the cranes are operative today, even though it's a Sunday afternoon. Um, there's no uh, men in orange coats looking to strange this side. It's a lot quieter this side, I'd say. There's, uh, they're probably not expecting as much uh, people to try and get through. Uh, so, over to Trevor. Yeah, I think John's covered it, really. We're in a short, stubby section of Derwood Street now. There's a lot less of it that you can get into than coming the other way I'd say we're probably well not not even a hundred yards um, of it from the corner where the duck pond once was as many of you all know down to almost almost uh, immediately in front of the murder site the uh, the car parking space that we all used to know how, how far away would you estimate we are from that right now Trev it, I'd say we're, it's about 10 yards behind the door through the hoarding Um, and we're probably about 20 metres from the hoarding itself at the moment because again there's a a sort of they're trying to stop you getting all the way up towards the hoarding yeah as John said we came down Whitechapel Road and past Court Street we came down Castle Main Street by Valance Gardens where the workhouse used to be Uh, and Court Street you can still get down there for the shops on the side, but it effectively no longer connects with Derwood Street and uh, very narrow walkways you can get through to the shops either side of a fairly massive trench going down the middle of it. And, uh, yeah, there's not really much else to say, I don't think, down here. Uh, uh, the thing is quite bleak here and quite... Uh... It's always been quite bleak. Yeah, The the sign for the actual Crossrail station does say, you know, providing vital service to London's vibrant East End. But, uh, I don't think the vibrant East End is represented very well um, by this particular. Yes, yeah, this, this particular site. Um, so yeah, so Crossrail is, is causing disruption here, but uh, it's causing disruption all over London, and uh, I think it's taken a lot longer than expected. Um, 
mainly because it keeps on seeming to dig into various plague pits, um, and then archaeological work needs to take place. Uh, there hasn't been any in East End, I don't think, plague pits discovered, but... Uh, there was the... not plague pits, no, they discovered the old... Uh, the new church graveyard, as they're calling it, effectively the graveyard of the first uh, Our Lady of Bethlehem slash Bethlehem slash Bedlam hospital round the back of, of Liverpool Street, so just over the border into the city rather than the East End as such. But we'll, 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 we'll take that to be kind of the East End because it's on the border, but yeah, I know the plague didn't really... Yes, Ripper Country, yeah. The plague didn't really get to the East End because it's outside the, the medieval gates of the city. The market was a plague pit. So they say. OK, yeah, so, so we're going to argue about uh, plague pits now, and uh, I think we'll uh, retire to a public house. Uh, the blind beggars are on the corner if it's open, and I think from there we'll do a quick summing up of uh, what we've seen over the last two days and what our feelings are towards the, uh, the various works and changes to the area that are ongoing. I feel wet. Yeah, it is quite damp, so uh, let's move on. So uh, we're slightly drier now when the rain has stopped. Um, we've tried to find a quiet pub to sit down and uh, have a bit of a conclusion, but uh, that seems to be slightly impossible. Um, everywhere we go, there seems to be noise, music, football matches, John Pope to Loxley. Um, so uh, we, we found a fairly quiet street to do um, a summing up. So, yeah, so yesterday we went to... Um, First, uh, Dorset Street, Miller's Court, where the White Row car park is 99% gone and they've started demolishing the Fruit and Wool Exchange. Um, so I think uh, the, the White Row car park is really no loss to the area. Um, uh, I would say affordable parking is hard to find, but uh, like I said, the White Row car park is no loss there. Uh, the only disadvantage is it did give a good vantage point of uh, the site of Miller's Court since the road going down to it was closed. Um, but yeah, so Trevor, any other thoughts on White's Row? No, not, not really. I mean, I think there's a wider issue with a lot of the reaction to these changes because, as you say, they do make a difference to you being able to go and get a nice view and a nice photo and, and two has been able to go down of the site of Miller's Court, um, which I think we've all enjoyed over the years and maybe it's a case of you don't know what you've got till it's gone uh, but the wider issue outside of the, the ripper bubble should we be trying to protect places and preserve places just because a horrible murder happened there uh, as I know John Bennett has said in the past on a, a previous ripper cast and I think he's spot on, you, you can't do that and you need to sometimes step out of the bubble a little bit and take the emotional response out of it. And realistically, let's be honest, Dorset Street, the Val Street, hasn't existed for many years. So it was only the car park going back up that gave some pretense, if you like, that it did. So, yeah, no, no, great, no great loss, really. Um, appreciated it while it was there, I suppose, and perhaps... Some of the we were some of the very few people who did appreciate that. Comment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the fruit and wool exchange, I think, is a slightly different matter because it is a it was a very nice piece of architecture um, for the area and for the the time it was built. 
Um, so, yeah, the Fruit and Wool Exchange, any thoughts there? Yeah, love, lovely building. Um, seems a shame. Shame that they couldn't have protected it. I haven't seen, you know, despite the best efforts of people, um, it wasn't protected. I haven't seen the final plans, whether they're going to try and preserve some of the frontage, maybe in the same way they did with the Crispin Street Night Refuge, where you've got that um, section out on stilts with the modern building behind it. It's a shame. It's not even 100 years old. It's not contemporary with the Victorian era. A little bit like Gunthorpe Street. It's one of those places that I think sometimes gives a feel of all oh, this is what the area would have been like, but it was always a little bit false in the first place. So, so when it was built, there probably was an effort to make it look slightly Victorian here. Um, is there going to be an What's going there instead? Do we know that? It's going to be a very large office building. Uh, I think I'm right in saying... Surprise, surprise. Just for a change, lots of glass and steel, just for a bit of variety. Uh, yeah, I think I'm right in saying owned by a German company. Uh, it's going to be huge. It's going to extend all the way from what was, in inverted commas, Dorset Street down to Brushfield Street, which is why the gun pub has gone. Uh, I think there's going to be shops and a sort of walkway underneath it and then offices above. We shall see. Uh, I was speaking to an architect who also happens to be involved with the Spitalfields Preservation Trust a couple of years ago now about all the developments in uh, Mitre Square, which had started at that point, and, and Dorset Street, in inverted commas, as was on the cards at the time. And I was quite interested to talk to him and to get his perspective because I think sometimes, I mean, John and I were discussing this last night and we disagreed on some of the modern buildings in London. But I quite liked some of them, the Gherkin. And like anything, it's what context you see things in. And partly I like the Gherkin because I can look at it and I think, oh, yeah, that's, that's nearly mitre square there. And I know I can walk from there to there and there and there and this is what I'd see. Um, but I think there's a temptation to be just anti-anything new sometimes. And some of these buildings, I would say the Gherkin, I would say the Shard, actually grow on you once they're up. Some of them, like the Cheese Grater and the Walkie Talkie, don't, uh, which also isn't helped if they melt your car. Uh, so let's reserve judgment. But his response was uh, when I said to him, what do you think about the architecture in these buildings? And I was prepared to be convinced if he'd said, no, do you know what? It's going to be, it will grow on you and it's nice. And his response was, where's the architecture? Uh, he seems to think he was a very well-informed man and his impression was generally that they're not even interested in architecture or consulting architects of any calibre with these kind of buildings. All they say is, how much space can you get in? How much light can you get in? Can you make it out of glass and steel? And can you make it very quickly? So I don't think anyone's going to be looking at that building in 100 years' time in the same way we all looked at the Fruit and Wool Exchange and saying, isn't that beautiful? I hope no-one pulls it down. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think in other parts of the country there has been more of an effort to kind of keep the distinctive character. I mean, in, I know in um, York, when we were at the York Conference going on the bus tour, they pointed out that a lot of the modern buildings in York have to have the contemporary feel of the existing uh, buildings. Um, in my hometown of Swansea, um, they've just built a new um, retail restaurant complex by the castle and the historic wine street and um, 
the, the side that's by the castle has a similar architectural feel to the castle. It's like rounded corners. And the, uh, this, the Wine Street side has got the architectural feel of the old banks on that street. So there's been an effort there. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a case of hating modern architecture just for the sake of it. But I think it needs to fit in with what's around it. Um, I know a famous example in Swansea is that the, uh, the building, the Meridian Tower they've built there is a glass and steel monstrosity and it spoils the eye line of the bay. But I think it looks quite pretty out on the bay, especially compared to the steelworks and the very 1950s uh, buildings they've got there already. So it's all a matter of opinion perspective. Yeah, I think... I think eyeline is a, an interesting point, and I mentioned the shard, the cheese grater, um, the gherkin, the walkie-talkie, etc. A minute ago, and one thing that wandering around for these last couple of days doing these reports, one thing that from various angles became quite apparent was there is talk that with all these new buildings going up, there's effectively going to be a wall of glass and steel uh, from the east to the west. So the east end, in a sense while the city is encroaching, as we've said, and while we're all told that the world is getting smaller, uh, in a sense, architecturally, the East End is, in the future, going to feel even more cut off from the city than it has previously. Uh, and obviously there's issues there. I mean, we went down, John and myself, went down yesterday, slightly different issue, but we went down to observe some of the protests, uh, protests, protesters, protests, some of the protests... Uh, against the new Jack the Ripper Museum in Cable Street. And yesterday's protest was being arranged by a group called Class War, and they were down in the area last at the end of last year as well, protesting about some of the new buildings that have gone up in the area, which have uh, effectively poor doors, doors for the people who own their properties and a separate effectively almost a tradesman's entrance for the people who rent them and people who work there, cleaners, etc. And there are social issues there, I think. So with all these kind of developments, you have to bear in mind the social impact of them. And I I think we're fighting a losing battle if we don't want any new buildings in London and we don't want any of the area to change. But there are legitimate questions that I think sometimes need to be asked about doing it compassionately. And that can be from an architectural point of view. And John's quite right. Places like York, places like Oxford make an effort that new buildings have to fit in with the feel. The feel of the East End has always changed, I suppose. So what is the feel of it? Would we like it to be a Victorian theme park? I'm I'm not so sure (laughs) about that. Uh, So, But, yeah, there are, whether it's architectural or sociological, there are... Uh, concerns that need to be addressed, I think, with some of these buildings. A, a, lot, a lot of the Victorian buildings that were demolished in the East End in the 1950s and earlier were because they were crumbling, dilapidated buildings. So it wasn't just for progress, it was for safety and health. So uh, there is that to consider as well. Uh, so we have discussed Door Street, we've gone a bit onto Mitre Square. Um, so yeah, the, the changes to Mitre Square. Um, the footprint of the uh, med- medieval or pre-medieval cloisters, that seems to be gone now. And I know at a point Trevor's been making a lot on Facebook is, oh, it's, it's terrible. Pe- people are saying it's terrible that these sites are disappearing, you know, these historical sites of murders, and that Trevor's uh, point has always been, sod the murders, this is a medieval 
site. Uh, so, yeah, any feelings on that, Trev? I think you've summed up my position quite well there, yeah. We, let's not get too emotional about an unnamed service road that did not have the same footprint as the road we know anyway and the road we know which was rubbish. I don't think anyone is saying, wouldn't it be great if we still had lodging houses and, and the workhouses? No, it, it wouldn't be. And I know if you speak to some of the residents, for example, on Old Montague Street, which is all modern housing now, which isn't particularly nice to look at, but I was speaking to someone a while ago who knows some of the people who lived in the properties there before they were renovated, and in comparison, they would describe their places now as palaces. So you can't get too emotional about you know, the lovely Victorian East End, because part of the reason we're all interested in this, we all know it wasn't the lovely Victorian East End, but an 11th, 11th, 12th century cloister and a square that still, in the first years of the 21st century, had the same footprint as that cloister where you've got um, the 12th century royal burials under there, uh, you know... That, that, that is different, and I don't mean in a, a sense of we shouldn't build anything where people are buried, but that was always... And, you know, you can look in the office building on the corner and see a little bit of the, the remains of the priory, and that does seem like a shame. That seems like something that should have been... There's not many traces like that left. Um, but, unfortunately, it's so close to the city... And well, it's in the city. Um, it's, Nothing yeah, can stop progress. It, it, it was so it's so close to the business centre that it was always going to happen. Uh, has there been any archaeological work gone on on the site um, to see if there is anything down there that could be worth looking at before it gets covered up by a skyscraper or whatever's going there? Yeah, as with any of these sites in London, um, we were talking about Crossrail works and some of the things they've turned up a bit ago when we were in. Uh, the old Bucks Row, weren't we? And as with all of those, if you're digging on a site that is likely to be of archaeological significance, part of the planning process is you have to have a period where archaeologists can go in. And I know they did do that with Mitre Square. They had archaeologists from the Museum of London Archaeology team in there, but I don't think they actually turned anything up. Well, certainly we haven't heard about it if they did. But... So it could be a case of over the years that you know it's been dug up so many times and things. There's nothing left in one piece, perhaps, or it's it's further down than they went. So because I know there's a lot of medieval Londons under the existing city, quite far below, isn't it? Well, so yeah, yeah. The street level was significantly lower um, at the time, anyway. So you, if you look at the, me- the medieval walls; you can see that. Yeah, look at the the Roman pavements that you can go and see in the crypts of All Hallows by the Tower and St Bride's Churches, you know, you go all the way down to the crypt and, and there's the Roman street level, so, yeah uh, I, I think the, the overarching issue with all of this is whether it's for education, and I do believe there's an educational value to studying this case, as many of us do, I, I think uh, and to studying the area through the window of the case and or whether it's for entertainment, which is a slightly different issue. People have their own opinions. People have their own opinions on the tours, for example. Um, but whether it's education or entertainment, you cannot... I've said this previously on, on a Ripper cast. You, you cannot beat 
that sense of standing someone somewhere and saying, there, it happened there, it happened in that building, it happened under your feet there, or even, as it has been more recently, you know, pointing out the things you can see. So the Priory was here, there are the remains, and you can't see any of it here now, but imagine this is this walking around this, this would have been the same sort of choices. And you can't get that back once it's gone. And showing people pictures and, you know, giving lectures and showing PowerPoint slides of, of how it was, it's, it's, it's not the same. And uh, the current... And I'm not talking about the, the history of there was a terrible murder here. As I say, that's, that's different. But the current regime in London, shall we say, doesn't seem to have many sympathies for trying to preserve what we've got left in terms of history. It's just uh, greed is good, I think Gordon Gecko would say. Hail Boris. Uh, yeah, so um, I think we've covered that quite well there. Um, and then Bucks Row, which we went earlier, so we're, I think our thoughts are most the same, that uh, I don't think it's a great loss as such, because it's... Uh, other than the board school... There's not much there from the time, is there? And um, yeah, so um, yeah, there's not much there other than the board score from the time. Any thoughts on that, Trev? Not really. Again, as with Dorset Street, you know, we, we all like to, go, to be able to go down there, and it's irritating when I'm going to take people round showing them the sites that I can't walk them all the way down it. I don't think we know whether you're going to be able to ever walk down the whole length of it again. Uh, and say there's the car parking space, but that's just the way it is, and that there's lots of other history in the area, there's lots of other relevant sites even to, to the case that you, you can use to tell the story. Uh, not a site I've ever really had any great affection for, to be honest. I think uh, a bit like Dorset slash Deval Street, once the north and south sides of the original street came down, really there was nothing there, and to be honest, I mean... Most of the tours don't even bother to go down that way, which is partly to do with distance. But to be honest, I think once Essex Wharf came down, uh, there wasn't really much to see in Bucks Row anyway. Well, yeah, prior to today, I'd only ever been there once before. Um, and that was an organised thing. It's never something that I've gone myself on a wander, mainly because of the distance, because there's nothing else there. Um, you know, there's some craze links. But, um, so, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any major loss there. I think we are fortunate in a way, though, when, you know, the previous developments in the area, you know, we've only a handful of photographs to document it and for us to see what it was like. But this, so the end of this phase of the East End's development, moving on to the next phase, there has been a lot of documentation. Um, pictures, the changes, the sites have been going up almost weekly on uh, the Jacklip Photography Group that Andrew Firth runs. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of books documenting... Yes, on Facebook, sorry. And uh, there's a lot of books documenting the changes and how the area was prior to now and leading up to now. So, you know, stuff like um, Andrew Firth again, um, Past Traces, Fragments of the East End, John Bennett's E1, Journey Through Whitechapel and Spitalfields, Rob Clark, Philip Hutchinson, London Jack Ripper then and now, uh, Philip Hutchinson's... Um, was that the Whitby collection and the... Uh, the, uh, the first Ripper victim photograph. No, that no, no, no. The, no. The first Jack location photograph, That's that Fields Yard and the Whitby collection. Um, Richard Jones's book. Uncovering Jack the Ripper's London. Uncovering Jack the Ripper's London. Various books like that have documented 
getting up to now. So this, this phase of the East End has been well documented. And in years to come, you know, people have, um, you know, they will, they will be able to look back more than we've been able to look back at how these sites were. So that, that's fortunate in a way. I think that's right. I mean, I mentioned the museum and we've been talking to various people about that plug for a forthcoming article in Ripperologist magazine, writing with Mr Adam Wood. Uh, and understandably, feelings are running high on that at the moment, and Ripperologists are kind of persona non grata to a lot of people at the moment due, due to the issues around that. And I think sometimes maybe, again, it is useful to come out of the bubble and to examine why you're interested in these things and what your interest is and how you want to present that interest, and I think the latter of those points is the most important one. The changes to the area, I think they'll impact on different people differently. It'll be interesting to see how they impact on the tours, how the tours deal with that. Maybe they're going to have to change their routes somewhat. And maybe there will be people who will find that as some of the last traces disappear or become inaccessible, if that was more their interest and wandering around the area and spotting things, maybe that will distill their interest somewhat. But, yeah, my justification, if you believe a justification is necessary for going around the area and photographing the area over the years, has always been... And let's be honest, we always knew this was going to happen. Um, the Olympics, the fact that Tower Hamlets was one of the Olympic boroughs and the money that came in after that, off the back of that, really was the, the, the warning shot across the bowels, really, I think, that this was always going to happen. Uh, um, but let's be honest, whether it's because you're interested in Jack the Ripper or not and whether people think you should be interested in Jack the Ripper or not people like us are those going around photographing these sites and as John says we all look back now at the photographs that people like Stuart Evans took back before these sites changed the first time uh, books like William Stewart's and people like us are those people now in terms of those are the photographs that people are going to be looking back on. And whether you believe people should be interested in the Jack the Ripper murders or not, I think that's, that is a service to history. So I think very briefly before we finish up, um, some of the other developments that have been planned and I think now stopped in the East End, a controversial one was Norton Fulgate, where um, they wanted to put a, a glass and steel monstrosity, a giant one, right in the middle of Shoreditch. Um, is it Shoreditch? Uh, yeah, it's just about Shoreditch. Yeah, yeah so right in the middle of Shoreditch. Um, and uh, I know there's a lot of uh, controversy there about how it would totally spoil the view and be again, you know, you can argue, yeah, the city is this mountain of glass and steel, but uh, this would be the lone one in that area. And there was a big campaign to stop it. And I think it's now been prevented, hasn't it? It has been I think, saved. As always with these things, it's been delayed rather than stopped. Uh, yeah, I mean, what you've got to remember with Norton Folgate is that is a, a protected area, so that should be hands-off, but we shall see. Good Madness song as well. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So anything else to add, Trev, or have we about covered it? Yeah, I... I think we've we pretty much covered it. I mean, as I said earlier, the East End is always changing, whether you're talking about architecture, whether you're talking about the makeup of the area with different, like, different waves of immigration. The one thing that doesn't seem to change is, is the social circumstances relative to the rest of London. But it's a place that 
is always changing and you know we all like to think we could place ourselves mentally back in 1888 sometimes and see how it was but let's not think that it wasn't that wasn't the case then I mean you had Tower Bridge which had begun being built the year before in 1887 which obviously made a massive difference to the area uh, and before that you'd had the building work in the docks it's always happened and people wandering around in the autumn of 1888 may have been having very similar discussions about this horrible bridge that was going up probably not podcasting about it though possibly not if only they did so um i'm gonna do a quick conclusion here this has been uh, John Rees and Trevor Bond uh, on the streets of the East End looking at first-hand some of the changes that are happening to the area and the murder sites on the weekend of the 22nd and 23rd of August 2015 for Rippercast. Thank you for listening. Thanks. And that was Rippercast, episode 65, from our own correspondents, Demolition and Whitechapel. Thank you to John Reese and Trevor Bond for recording this episode of Rippercast for our listeners, and in doing so, also providing a little audio history of what was taking place at the Jack the Ripper murder locations in late August 2015. We hope to be hearing a lot more from John and Trevor in the future. And I want to thank everyone for listening. I'll see you next time.